Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. You know, the first time I said that out loud three years ago, I nearly cried. My voice cracked, but now it kind of rolls off the tongue with pride. I have Parkinson's. I've got Parkinson's. Look at what I'm doing. <laughs> this is When Life Gives You Parkinson's, season three. Joining me on this podcast journey is my wife and partner in Parkinson's, Rebecca Gifford, and reporter and contributor, Nikki Reitmeyer. <laughs> season three, eh? Can you believe it's season three? Here we are. Unbelievable. Um, this is socially distanced, of course. <laughs> I'm still here to help demystify Parkinson's. So my role, as in past seasons, is to just be curious, to ask questions, to make sure that those of us who don't have someone with Parkinson's in our lives every day still understand what people with Parkinson's and their partners are going through on a day-in and day-out basis. I'll be there to help to spotlight the journey through the eyes of someone living with someone with Parkinson's. The partners in Parkinson's have their own issues and needs that are often not discussed, and I'm going to be there to try to remedy that. Now, to set the stage a bit in this COVID-19 world, the three of us are in three different locations connected via Zoom, and we're recording on our iPhones. So I'm in the office, Rebecca's in the kitchen, Nikki, where are you? Uh, I'm in my bedroom, but I have my camera tilted so you can't see any of the mess. You can only see <laughs> the nice picture in the background <laughs> and the cleanish corner in the room. Excellent. We all do that, right? That's that's what Zoom life is like. Yes. Very, <laughs> the very pretty true. corner. <laughs> and we're going to start season three, I think the same way that we began season one and season two by, you know, asking about your Parkinson's, a snapshot of where you've been, Larry, how you've been doing, and you as well, Rebecca. You know, I know August 18th, 2020 marked three years since the official diagnosis, since your family began this this journey. I don't know whether or not I should be wishing you congratulations <laughs> on this milestone. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, it is uh, three years of the last 10 that actually do make sense as it relates to the symptoms that I've been experiencing in the past decade. Because once you put a name to that growing list of symptoms that you're collecting that all seem unrelated, uh, it's, it's like an aha moment. It's like, oh, there's a name for this and it's Parkinson's. And then it's like, oh, shit, I've got Parkinson's. <laughs> but, uh, you know, three years. Yeah, yeah. I was diagnosed with Parkinson's at the age of 45. One week before Rebecca's birthday. Rebecca, we've heard Larry's account of the diagnosis before, but I'm curious about how you remember that diagnosis and, and even the time leading up to it. When did you start noticing that something was off? Didn't I didn't really put it together what was happening for a long time, but we started seeing things uh, maybe a couple years, consistently a couple years before that, strange things started to occur. Mm -hmm. uh, and even pretty early in our marriage, once we got the diagnosis, it was interesting to go back and start piecing together some strange health occurrences that Larry had that we had no we had no diagnosis for. We would see somebody for it sometimes, and they would have no they would not be make, connecting the dots. There wasn't enough to connect the dots. Um, so for instance, every once in a while, he would lose his breath and feel kind of foggy and 
there were times we thought it was a panic attack. Remember your right arm would shake, honey? Mm -hmm. And we didn't know what that was about. And you're always, if you're concerned about a heart attack, you're looking at the left arm. You're thinking about the left arm and symptoms that deal with kind of that main artery there. And it was never on the left side. It was always on the right side, which never made sense. Um, And they didn't really seem to be connected. Do you remember, um, honey, that Christmas Eve... It was maybe two or three years before your diagnosis. Hmm. On Christmas Eve, you had a really strange spell in the grocery store. We were shopping for Christmas Eve dinner and Christmas Day, and we weren't going to be with our families that year. We were in California. And he had this really weird incident where all of a sudden his right arm felt really, really rigid and strange. He got kind of foggy. He felt like he was going to faint. And he just knew something was off. Well, we were already out and about, so we took the groceries and everything and drove immediately to an urgent care. And uh, he waited around a little bit. They checked him out to make sure it wasn't a heart attack or a stroke or anything like that. And then there was nothing. And nothing like that happened again for a really long time. So we had no diagnosis. We just thought it was some weird anomaly. And he had these other episodes that were all years apart from each other that had happened before that. But we never connected anything. And then once we got the diagnosis, it, it all started to, to make sense. You could track it back that far. And the walk, you could track back at least four or five years, the clumpy walk. Isn't it interesting with these types of neurological diseases how we're able to almost track the progression of symptoms in hindsight? At the time... You don't really know what's happening. Or like you said, you just think it's some anomaly. Just you were having some kind of off day somehow. But when you look back, you go, okay, this makes sense now. Those were the signs of Parkinson's. Well, and I wonder every once in a while, if we had known what to look for, if if anybody had been able to piece all of these things together and track it appropriately and know what were the early signs, if we had caught it earlier... Would that, have, would that make any difference to how you're doing now? I don't know that it would, but, but that is something interesting to think about if we'd known what to look, because now we know so many signs and symptoms, and once, you, once they start to collectively happen, oh, it's likely something neurological. At the time, we had no idea it had anything to do with his brain. Yeah, and I know when Larry had his first appointment with a neurologist, it was in the spring of, of 2017, for you, what do you remember about that experience? Larry called me on the phone and said, so good news, it's not these 10 things that they listed off that, that are critical and dangerous and, and deadly diseases or a brain tumor and you're going to need brain surgery or all of these things that they said it could be. I have Parkinson's. And so at the time, we're thinking, oh, well, that seems a lot more manageable and you're going to live. It's not deadly, right? It's so at the time, it felt like a relief. Then over time, as we got more information and we met people, we had a better idea of how the progression will go or could go and how long we would be dealing with this and what we could be, be potentially dealing with. And that was a whole other process of awakening and having to f- 
think about and consider what your future looks like and that it could look very different. This is not a disease that just, for most people anyway, is just kind of in the background and affects a few things. This is something that, especially with an early diagnosis, affected our life and our future in a, in a quite significant way. And I don't think at first, because we were just hoping that he was going to live and be relatively okay, that that really sunk in. Yeah, it sounds like that that day of the official Parkinson's diagnosis really had an impact on you and on your family. It did, and we, we didn't get the official diagnosis with Dr. Squires until August of that year. So we were pretty sure what it was for several months and kind of going through that process, but not really having an official diagnosis. So when we go in for the diagnosis, poor Dr. Squires, he was amazing, but he knew as probably everybody does when they come in, we wanted something concrete. We wanted something confirmed. It's Parkinson's. This is how you deal with it. This is what you can expect. And of course he can't provide that. Nobody can. So we were wanting more information and more something to cling to, something more certain to cling to. And it was just more, yes, you're in for a lot of uncertainty and not knowing how this is going to roll out. You have some more support now and a little bit more information and answers, but this is the best that we can do. We can give you a a big gray area to look at. (laughs) And that's just the Parkinson's community, right? That's all they can do. Yeah. Dr. Squires, he is great, though. I mean, it's fantastic hearing him on this podcast. I know he's been a guest on this podcast many times, and I hope that we hear from him again this season. Oh, yeah. My next appointment's in early October, so uh, we'll we'll record a conversation at that point. Ah, perfect. Okay, so my next question is for both of you guys, because you are now three years removed from your Parkinson's diagnosis. If you could sit down, imagine this, and chat with yourself from three years ago. There you are, sitting across from, you know, the couch. Your old self is sitting there. What advice do you give to the 2017 you? I would say it's not as, it's not going to be as bad as you might think it's going to be. And it's not going to be as easy as neurologists make it out to be. Because the neurologists go, well, you know, listen, you're you're not going to die from this. You're going to die with it, and you're you know, you need to exercise and you need to you know watch what you eat. But you 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 take levodopa; it'll help you. Problem is, the the levodopa only impacts a, a, a small percentage of the symptoms, and so then there's other pills on top of it, and other pills on top of it, and then you know you, they don't tell you about the the aches and the pains and the exhaustion and like you know because they can't because everybody's parkinson's is different so it's going to it's it's going to be different and and harder than the doctors may think it's going to be because we look good because we most 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 people with parkinson's exercise um I'm working on it uh and so they look good and so people don't think of them as people with parkinson's uh, but but it is it is harder. Uh, it, it, but it is easier in one sense where it's like, yeah, I've got a you know a degenerative neurological disease, but I'm also working full time as the national director of talk radio for a major entertainment company. So like it's not like life is over. And I think for probably the first six months, I it kind of felt I, I had that victim mentality like. 
oh, I can't do anything now. And now I realize I can do so much. That's got to be normal, though, to go through that morning stage. And I imagine that you're not alone in that, that that is an experience that your partner shares as well, that you both go through that stage where you are depressed at first until you realize just how able you are. Yeah. And I think the doctors, you know, to, to give them credit, like I'm not throwing them under the bus here. They, they're not looking to bum us out. They, they need us motivated because they want us to go believe that we can move forward and wake up every day and put one foot in front of the other and go to the gym and work out and eat right and do everything we're supposed to do. Uh, and if they say, well, you know, it's going to be really hard and you're going to be in a lot of pain and like that, that doesn't help anything. <laughs> so I understand why, but I, I guess that's my advice. It's going to be harder than the doctors say. It's going to be, it's going to be easier than it is in your mind. And what about you, Rebecca? You know, if you could look at yourself from three years ago and have a conversation, what would you say to the 2017 version of you? You don't have to be all things to all people and you don't have to do any of it alone. So I was given a job the way I saw it when Larry was diagnosed. I'm the care partner, right? It's a big deal. Mm. I'm going to be the care partner. Down the line, I could be the caregiver. I... And I had this um, false idea that it was now my responsibility then to just take care of things, everything. Larry, Henry, myself, the house, paying the bills, everything. It's like, I'm the one equipped. I'm the one who has a fully functioning adult brain in the household. (laughs) And so it's up to me to just do it, right? And not ask questions and just do it. I would tell myself to not believe that. <laughs> and I would I would perhaps speed up the learning process that I've gone through over the, the last three years of understanding and really truly accepting and getting comfortable with that we are a family and we support each other. They can and want to and do support me as much as I support them. And it's a three-way, constantly changing, constantly evolving flow of support and love and energy between us and it's not it's not it doesn't all fall on me we can all help take take care of each other and I'm not Wonder Woman I can't do it by myself so relying upon them and relying upon community and accepting the help when it's offered I would tell myself to just speed that process up. (laughs) And I've gotten there now, but it it would have been nice to start that process on day one instead of like day 850. If you want to complicate things even more, throw in a global pandemic. Right? (laughs) (laughs) How has that been affecting you guys? I mean... I know that you love to connect with people in the YOPD community, with people in the Parkinson's community. How has COVID-19 affected you guys? Are you still able to connect with people the same way that you have before? Not the same way. Um, We we, we actually had a great uh, YOPD supper club that was underway. Uh, And we would, uh, every couple of months, we would gather at a restaurant. Uh, There's like 15 or 16 of us uh, here in uh, the lower mainland of Vancouver, uh, British Columbia. And it was great. Um, and we, I don't know why we haven't Zoomed, but we just we haven't connected since our last dinner, really. Uh, but that was really – we had a couple of them, and they were, they were just getting rolling after the uh, World Parkinson Congress. And uh, so, so that, that, that's, that's been tough. And then, of 
course, the other place I connected with folks was at uh, exercise classes and the, you know, physiotherapists uh, were doing stuff online and it's not the same as in person and uh, or support groups online versus in person or the improv for Parkinson's that we started and we, we documented last uh, last season. Well, I'm, I've continued to do that, but I'm doing it now on Zoom oh. as opposed to it in person at the theater. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's just become a Zoom world, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like everything is over Zoom these days, it seems. I mean, look at the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast is on Zoom. The other thing that I, I've I've realized, because I'm only going into the office now every third week, um, is my symptoms are lesser than they were when I had to go every day. Really? Well, and there's, there's good reason. So commuting for me is stressful. So I've got to walk down to the block in time in order to reach the bus. And if I miss the bus, then I've got to wait for the next bus. And mm-hmm. then I'm in this crowded bus, and maybe I get a seat, maybe I don't. Uh, and then I go all the way downtown, and there's lots of crowds pre-COVID. And crowds make me anxious. And so th- th- that's a half hour of my day each, you know, or an hour of my day go to and from with, of, of anxiety and stress that I don't have anymore. Hmm. Um, and then just sort of like the nonstop interactions with people can be just exhausting. So, you know, people would line up out my door and then, you know, as soon as I get a break, as soon as the door opens, there's three people that have a question for me and, which is great. I love interacting with the staff, but like, um, if there's no, there's no downtime. Yeah. Um, and so what I can do in a zoom world is I can block time on my calendar, uh, that can just say busy. And then I'm not available. Yeah, especially on a day when maybe you've had a terrible sleep the night before and you're feeling that at work the next day instead of having to sit in your office, like you said, and deal with people lining up out your office door. Now you can make time for yourself in order to just charge the batteries a little bit. Rebecca, what have you noticed about um, how this has impacted us? The only other thing I would say... You're exercising less? Aren't we all? (laughs) Oh, but I'm eating worse too. Again, aren't we all? (laughs) But you had that, you always had that built-in walk time and you had classes that you were going to and all of that. So yeah, it's just harder, right? You're, he, he's in that office. He shuts the door and then he's on Zoom call, phone call, Zoom call phone call. And it's still, you know, the, the pace is slower a bit because you don't have, like you said, the interaction and whatnot, but, um, and you're in more control of the pace, but, uh, it, and you don't have to, you know, you can dress a certain way. You can take a 10 minute nap if you need it, all of that. You have that flexibility, but you're also in a room in a chair for a longer period of time, which isn't good for the Parkinson's ultimately. So pros and cons. Well, just like Parkinson's, everyone's reaction to the COVID summer is a little bit different. So I Zoomed with some folks from the UK to see how they're holding up. I'm Jane Calder. Um, I'm a person living with Parkinson's. My husband, Darren Calder, has had Parkinson's for 17 years. Uh, He was um, a member of the GDNF participant group for the phase two GDNF trial. Um, And I am really interested in Parkinson's research. I'm Sally Bromley. I was diagnosed with Parkinson's 12 years ago. And since then, I've been trying to find out as much as I can about Parkinson's, pass it on to others, 
and I really do appreciate appreciate it when people are being positive. Which I there's a lot to be positive about Parkinson's. I've gained a huge amount since I've, been, I've had Parkinson's, and I just want to pass that message on to other people that it is it isn't the end of end of um, the life as you knew it. It's the beginning of a new one. My name is Amatala Thomas. I got diagnosed with Parkinson's about four years ago at the age of 35. I live in the UK. Um, I'm passionate about many different things. I'm passionate about young onset Parkinson's. I'm passionate about how Parkinson's impacts women. But my current focus is, a, is, a, is raising awareness of Parkinson's disease across the continent of Africa. You know, for me, it's actually funny. It's, um, it's being a part of Parkinson's communities and being able to connect with people. Um, that has really helped me. Just staying connected has helped me. Has it affected your symptoms at all? Anxiety, yes. Maybe not some. Well, let me rephrase that. Definitely anxiety. And... Um, because of the change in my schedule, it impacted my ability to exercise or my desire to exercise, and that had an impact on my motor symptoms. Uh, for, for me, it's definitely accepted, uh, uh, impacted on my anxiety levels as a person living with Parkinson's. I am very aware at all times, and I get very frustrated with people um, out there and around us that don't understand what social distancing is truly about and po possibly they don't understand my own need to protect my loved ones either so um, yeah it, it's a difficult COVID is a difficult challenge and it has changed us dramatically in terms of caution how's Darren holding up yeah I mean he's he's very cautious around COVID he has a stick um, a two-meter stick, and, and he waves it at people. Um, so we all know he's he's uh, bat bat crazy, bat crazy. Um, and uh, so if people um, get too close to him, like the the moras or anything, he'll highlight it. So he's not slow in coming forward and saying, "Keep your distance." Um, I'm a vulnerable person, um, but he doesn't like being made to feel more vulnerable by this disease. Um, and I think he's quite angry about that. Yeah, I totally, you know, I've been in my bubble here at home for the whole time, really. I've hardly gone out to go to a shop. I think I've been to three shops in all these, these months. And, and I miss family. I miss hugs with my, my, my uh, other daughter. I've got one daughter who's relocated back to the UK, staying here. So we've got, we went through... 14 days of quarantine, and now we're clear. So I can hold these lovely boys, but I can't my other two grandsons because, you know, uh, rules this allowed. But yes, it has brought its, its anxiety. Um, but probably the biggest change has been with me as chair of the local group and <clears throat> trying to keep these members buoyant in a way for some of them it's been hugely isolating and trying to um, reach for them has been a challenge in itself using zoom has had its own challenges because though you know traditionally so many of us are sort of older and the whole idea of doing something new with a computer has been quite a challenge 
but we've got them there. And um, we now do classes, uh, exercise classes using Zoom. And I tell you, the first one was, oh, hello, I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know I'd see all these other people. I didn't know I'd see all these other people. And then the next time it goes, oh, hello, what are you doing then? You know, it's, it's, the, the change is, is, is magnificent. And the, uh, we now give them extra time to chat because that is this, again, is missing. The, the, the uh, social interaction has, has, is nil in a way. So providing that is, is important. I've always said no, no exercise class is complete without a Jabba cake. But, you know, now we've got, got no bickies, we've got no tea, but we do have to make sure we provide the time for that. And I think that's very, very important. As well as that, it's trying to get other things interesting. I can't just leave it at that. So, you know, one of the members and I have been trying to put on a, an art gallery together um, and try, so trying to stimulate the interests of people. And they're so reticent. You know, we, we say, you know, we're really, really nice, but they're so nice. They don't tell us what they do. And, you know, there's some skilled people in my group who've retired from incredibly important positions. I mean, it's, it's, it's trying to get them to sort of say, well, actually, I can offer this. And that would be really, really good. But, you know, I'm very, very proud of my group, I have to say. Did anyone gain weight? Because I gained like 13 pounds. Yeah. So I've lost weight and I have a love-hate relationship with weight. I definitely have a hate-hate relationship with weight, and I gained at least a stone, probably a stone and a half, to be fair, if I was being really honest. No, I I, I think I gained about, net some gain, five pounds. Yeah, um, five, maybe seven pounds, but it's, um, it is just sticking. Now, Larry, what kind of symptoms have you been experiencing? Ah, symptoms. So, um... I, I still have a minor dyskinesia, and which is sort of the twitchy movements or the rocking, uh, especially as I'm coming on uh, my levodopa is peaking or if it's falling. Um, you know, there's a sweet spot. Um, I, I still have uh, really bad handwriting, uh, but I can use my hands more than I can, you know, when I'm off levodopa. Neuropathy right now is the biggest issue that I've got in my feet. Um, both feet, uh, it's like constant pain, it's numbness, it's pinpricks, it's, it's like when your arm falls asleep. But in addition to that, think of the nerves in your arm also being on fire. I wish you could all see Nikki's face right now. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds awful. (laughs) So so that's one of the reasons why I've not been exercising because I, I, my feet hurt so bad. I don't feel like I can do much of anything. Jeez. And that's affecting his walk. Um, the neuropathy, it, your walk has actually improved, I think, as far as the clomping, because you've done a really good job of paying attention to it and knowing in what situations you can walk with and without your sticks and all of that. That's actually improved. And that used to be the main symptom. But now the neuropathy is affecting the walking. So it continues to be related to the walking and the feet and the legs. Uh, I have, I still have anxiety. Uh, I don't even know if you know this, honey, but like we were in the car the other day and I just about screamed because I thought we were going to hit a car. Like I just get so nervous as a passenger in a car. It's, it's, 
I, it's ridiculous. I get into uh, what Rebecca likes to call my bubble. You want to describe what that's like? Like he's in a plastic bubble and everything else outside the bubble goes away. He can't hear it very well. It's it's like he's blocking out the stimuli outside of, you know, maybe a couple of feet around him. Um, so he's very focused on what he's doing. You could be talking to him. There could be things happening around him. But he because he's so focused and has to focus on what he's doing, um, it becomes very difficult for him to see or respond to anything outside the bubble. You have to try to get his attention. There could be something, you know, Henry's starting a meltdown or there are sirens outside and nobody knows why and or something is happening and he's just kind of still in his bubble. You have to get his attention and re-engage him in the world. Uh, The other thing I notice, Nikki, and this is interesting, I used to be really prolific multitasker. Uh, so I could get a lot of things done in a day. Uh, and I could work on things simultaneously and be on a call and do this and do that. It takes full attention to do anything. And I used to, I, you know, so I kind of know in my head how long it's going to take me to write a report or, you know, put together the ratings for our radio station or whatever it is. But my estimates are so far off now because it takes me so much longer to to complete a job that I used to be able to do, like say in an hour, it'll take me four. That must be frustrating. It used to be one of your superpowers, and now it's more like normal people. (laughs) (laughs) That's not so bad then. (laughs) So communication issues are also a huge problem for Rebecca and I. Um, I mean, I say huge, It, it happens uh, what once a week where we're like we just are not on the same wavelength. We've been married 21 years this month, uh, and uh, probably the most difficult communication time of our life or together. It feels huge sometimes because we had such an easy communication shorthand for most of our marriage. That was never difficult for us very honest, open communication, very easy. We always got each other's language, very few misunderstandings where that was concerned. And now it's having to unlearn and relearn how to communicate a bit. So that's why it feels big because that was such a fun and easy part of our relationship for so long. It's touchy every day to try to figure out what's the best way to communicate today because it depends on where he is and his medication, what time of day it is, how much stimuli is coming in at the time. Is there music on? Or is, there, is the TV on? Is Henry being loud? Are there other people in the backyard? Is there you know, any kind of additional stimuli? And it becomes really difficult for him to focus on what anybody is saying. So it, and then it gets frustrating because I've repeated myself a couple of times on something and it's still not retained. And so it's, it's relearning for me, it's relearning patience and understanding that it's not just that he's too busy and he's not paying attention or whatever. No, it's the Parkinson's, but literally because this is so, this is a relatively new struggle for us. It has, it is requiring me to, to learn that. 
I have reactions that aren't always the most empathetic at times. <laughs> and then, and then it quickly, you know, it's starting to happen faster, quickly realize, okay, well, I'm talking about something abstract or open-ended in the evening. That doesn't work. We had, <laughs> we did a webinar. Um, Larry and I did a webinar for a group just a couple of weeks ago and a, a young woman shared with us really good communication advice. She said, the rule in our house is that you can't ask any open-ended questions after 4.30. <laughs> because they were having arguments and whatnot in the evening because one was too tired or off their meds and not, and so couldn't really communicate about anything abstract or not concrete after a certain time, but the other was like, but this is our time to communicate. And so now we got to do it. Right. And so, right. And so, but you have to relearn those patterns and just figure it out. You have to adapt. Uh, the other, the other thing is I take things literally when she means them figuratively. Yeah, I'm making person. a sarcastic joke or something. And, and he's like, what that happened? I didn't Right. It just takes him a beat to, to catch up. So Larry, how are you then coping? You know, with Rebecca, she said that she's changing the time of day or being aware of the time of day in the questions that she asks. She said that she's learning more patience. What about you? How are you on your end um, adapting to these communication issues? Well, I'm, uh, I've started going uh, to counseling mm -hmm. um, and working through uh, some of these issues uh, that way and just uh, you know, dealing with that and some other other aspects of the disease, but uh, I, I I actually love going to counseling. Um, my counselor was away on maternity leave, and now she's back, and I'm so happy um, because uh, I just feel like it's it's a it's a good touch point um, for me to have somebody I can just bounce things off of, and then she can give me tools to use in order to be sure that I um, I can make it through the day and I can communicate better with, with Rebecca. And, and some of it is, you know, we are working at home. We're living at home. We've got an 11 year old here who was here every day for the last, you know, cause he was homeschooled and then uh, COVID hit. And then like, it was like the longest summer ever. <laughs> um, and um, so we never got time to ourselves really. We were never alone. So we'd lost those intimate touch points, whether it's just sort of like literally just touching her hand or uh, having a conversation, a quiet conversation in bed or like mm -hmm. we would, you know, so so we're, we're making more of an effort to just sort of connect, we'll schedule, uh, hey, let's, let's schedule an hour in the middle of the day while he's at school to just have lunch and, or go, go someplace to take a walk or whatever. But just, we need that, you know, us time. Yeah, you guy time. Yeah. Now, with the beginning of each season, we normally check in on your pharmaceutical regime as well. Rebecca, feel free to jump in on this too. What has changed since last fall? Well, I have a... A handy-dandy new pill container. Honey, do you want to go grab that and show Nikki my pill container now? Oh, fancy. How exciting. 
Oh yeah, no. This is this is uh, like you, you, the pill containers. Of pill containers? Well, so if you think of pill containers, you've got like the Honda, which is a little, a little compact, or, and then you've got like the Buick, and this is this would be like the SUV version. <laughs> it's huge. It's massive. This isn't an SUV version. This is like the semi truck version. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's two rows. It's about the size of a sheet of paper. You got pills for every single day. It's color coded. I mean, this thing is a. Uh, this thing is quite the unit. Yeah, it's it's four four rows because there's day or there's morning and evening for each day. And I'm noticing, honey, I didn't. I guess I didn't notice this before that the lettering is wearing off in a big way already, even though it's not really that old because you use it so much. Oh no! I use it all the time. Uh, so so yeah. So it, it, keeping track of the pills is is can be a, can be an issue. I have gone from taking levodopa, which is the Cadillac drug, the, the, the drug that everybody takes who has Parkinson's for the most part, uh, levodopa four times a day. Last year, it's now up to six times a day. Oh. So basically every three hours, and if I get up before 5 a.m., there's a seventh dose I take. Um, and I'm taking two and a half pills first thing in the morning, two pills four times a day, and then one pill at bedtime. Wow. But then, in addition, there's a there's a, a a controlled release version of levodopa carbidopa, and I take two pills of that at bed. So at bedtime, I'm taking two of the extended release and then one of the normal, um, which gets me to about four in the morning usually. Um, That's when you I, wake up. Yeah, usually, yeah, between four and five, um, and then I'm taking selegiline. Uh, which is uh, I was taking last year, 10 milligrams in the a.m. and the midday. Uh, and this is um, a, a dopamine inhibitor or blocker. So it absorbs the levodopa slower, so it lasts longer. Ah. So it's not like just a big shot into my brain because that, that would cause more dyskinesia. So, uh, so they're trying to control that as much as they can. Last year, I was on melatonin for sleep. I've stopped taking that. They've now put me on clonazepam. Uh, so melatonin is more of a natural thing. This is a, this is a pharmaceutical. Uh, I take it at bedtime. It's designed to calm your brain and nerves, and it's a sleep agent. Uh, it's also supposed to help with REM behavior disorder or active dreaming. Um, yet I still do have nights. This is another symptom that we forgot to talk about. Uh, where I'm talking in my sleep or I'm acting out my dreams. Oh, so that's what active dreaming is. Yeah. So, uh, honey, isn't active dreaming fun? <laughs> <laughs> it's not that frequent yet, so it doesn't freak me out. But it is um, every once in a while he's speaking full sentences. It's not like sometimes you get the sleep talking where it's just a just kind of mumbling and they're not quite getting it out. No, it's full, understandable sentences. Uh, sometimes kicking a little bit or suddenly his arm jerks one direction or, or the other um, has never hit me. But the other night I was turning over and looked up and his elbow was up in the air like this right over my head and just rigid and hadn't gone anywhere and I said you know what nope we're not doing that so I just gently tapped his his arm 
And he dropped his arm and turned over, and I don't even know that you remember that that happened. But yeah, but I'll kick the air or I'll punch my night table or whatever. It's crazy. Also, I've added gabapentin, one pill in the morning, two in the day, three at night. It's a drug designed initially for epilepsy to control seizures, uh, but it's used to uh, treat nerve pain in Parkinson's. So that's for my neuropathy. I've heard you both on radio commercials. You're both working with World Parkinson Congress. Larry is the voice of the Michael J. Fox podcast right now. How the heck are you both balancing advocacy with life and work and with your own PD on top of that? Uh, I've had to resign from some boards in order to make some space. Um, And I'm having to learn how to say no a lot in order to do the things that I've committed to doing and really focusing on what's a priority for me and for us. Um, It's it's still too much. Uh, It's still untenable at this pace, Uh, but we'll figure it out. Uh, I'm not quite yet ready to, you know, give up everything. Um, So I want to do it all. (laughs) Um, and, And I... You know, I've talked to Rebecca about this, too. I just uh, there's this urgency in me that I feel like I need to do it now. When we talked about we've been talking about it since the first season of making lifestyle changes so that uh, Larry could have more time to take care of himself and focus on his wellness. And that required the rest of the family making some changes as well. And that has occurred. Um, Henry started full time school. Um, just last week under very strange circumstances as all kids going back to school are this year. But, um, but I've been part-time homeschooling him for the last two years, pretty much since the diagnosis or not long after the diagnosis. So um, that was taking up a lot of time. It was making it less, me less able to contribute to the income of the family making it more important for Larry to be busy, busy, busy and making lots of money and, and are, or making the majority of the money for the household. So this way it makes more time spent our long-term plan to, to make more time for me to make more income, take on more projects, find employment, however, whatever that looks like moving forward so that Larry can kind of make more space for his wellness. And so this is the very, you were two weeks, less than two weeks into that process of making that big change and Henry going back to school and mama going back to work and, and all of that. So, um, it's TBD a lot right now, but, um, but it feels like a really good positive step in that direction. Yeah. And I think ultimately, you know, yeah, I've got a really big job, uh, Mm -hmm. career. Uh, I love it. I love radio. But I'm not going to be able to do it forever. So, you know, this is sort of in preparation for when I'm no longer effective in my role, uh, that that we will be okay to move forward um, beyond it. Um, And then, of course, what you didn't mention, which is, which is, you know, almost like another full time job for me is I helped co-found an organization this year called PD Avengers. Uh, which now has 500 members and 15 uh, organizations associated with it. And, you know, and I, we have a very simple task. We're just going to end Parkinson's. <laughs> easy, right? <laughs> Another one of your superpowers. Right? Hello. 
<laughs> uh, this is really cool. I love the name, PD Avengers. It's the first I'm hearing about this. So, so what exactly do you do? Well, so it's inspired by this book called Ending Parkinson's Disease that came out in the spring. Uh, and it's written by Todd Shear, who is the CEO of the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Uh, Ray Dorsey, who was the inspiration for this podcast, he's the guy who said Parkinson's is a pandemic. And if people with Parkinson's don't start sharing their stories uh, and raising awareness, we'll never raise enough uh, awareness and enough money to do enough research to end it. Uh, Michael Okun, who's in uh, the University of Florida, and uh, Baz Blom, who's in the Netherlands, uh, all um, amazing uh, neurologists and doctors and professors uh, who, who collaborated on this book. It's sort of the history of Parkinson's, and then they give a, a pact, uh, a recipe or a, a, a prescription to end Parkinson's. Uh, and it's about prevention, advocacy, care, and treatment. And so what PD Avengers is, it's actually a book club that started with this book, uh, and it's turned into an advocacy group. Huh. Uh, so there, it started with 10 of us just talking about the book and the ideas and what's, what, what do we like, what resonates, what's missing. Uh, and we, we started meeting over Zoom every week uh, in the spring uh, as just sort of a fun thing to do. And then after a while, we're like, well, are we going to do this or not? Like, are we just going to talk about it or are we going to do something? Our, our vision is to end Parkinson's. Uh, our mission right now is to really um, build a coalition, an international coalition of voices, um, like 50 million people. I mean, if you think about it, there's 10 million people in the world with Parkinson's. And let's just say there's five additional people for, or four additional people uh, in each person's life that is affected by Parkinson's. That's 50 million. There's a lot more people that are impacted if you think of all the people in healthcare and uh, research and whatnot that are, that are dealing with Parkinson's on a day-out day basis. This is for everyone. This, this group is not just for people with Parkinson's. It's for people that want to end Parkinson's. Oh, that's really cool. You guys are like superheroes. Now, do you have to wear your own spandex if you're a PD Avenger or? Yeah, but no, you don't have to wear a dance belt though, so that's good. <laughs> uh, Rebecca, I imagine you're signed up to this. Are you a PD Avenger? I am. I'm signed up and everyone can and should sign up. If we're going to make change, we need family members, friends, communities, organizations, medical professionals who deal with Parkinson's to rise up in a single voice and say that 202 years is long enough. Let's figure this out and let's solve Parkinson's. Nikki, are you a PD Avenger? Well, not yet, but I want to be. <laughs> Come on now, get signed up. It's free. It's free. We'll never ask members for money. We aren't a charity. Uh, we are what I like to call a Parkinson's Advocate Committee. Uh, so simply go to the website, enter your name, your email, and your country. And when you do that, you are saying, yes, I stand with you. And we say, yes, you're an Avenger. Uh, and, and you're now one, one of the one million voices that will support uh, what we're doing. This is When Life Gives You Parkinson's, a Curious Cast podcast. Returning as our presenting partner is Parkinson Canada. Diagnosed with Parkinson's? You're not alone. Parkinson.ca. And thank you to our promotional partners, Spotlight YOPD, the only organization in the world with the singular focus of raising awareness of young onset Parkinson's disease. You can find them at spotlightyopd.org. The Michael J. Fox Foundation Parkinson's Podcast, hosted by me, Larry Gifford, available on Apple Podcasts and at michaeljfox.org. 
the World Parkinson's Congress 2022 in Barcelona, Spain. Go to WPC2022.org for details on special virtual events that you can participate in right now. And PD Avengers, ready to help end Parkinson's? Sign up now at PDAvengers.com. PD Avengers is building a coalition of one million voices to strengthen and embolden the international PD community, improve the lives of those living with Parkinson's, and ultimately end PD. And of course, thank you for listening. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, give the show a rating and feel free to comment as well. It's great to kick off season three. You can engage with us on, on social media. It's at Parkinson's Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can email us at parkinsonspod at curiouscast.ca. Keep positive. Keep exercising. And keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.